You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Episode number 17 of the Unsung Podcast. On the last episode, we spoke about 23 by Blonde Redhead, and the public have decided that it does not make it into our discography, which is a great shame. We all love this record and we'd love to have seen it in there, but I guess there's maybe another one by Blonde Redhead to discuss in future. Thank you to everyone who voted. On this episode, we're talking about McCluskey Do Dallas, so let's get into it. Hi, I am your host Mark Fraser and I am joined by two of Glasgow's finest dancers. Uh, across the table from me is Mr Chris Cusack, who is the only man in Scotland who knows all of Elton John's songs off by heart. <laughs> uh, and across that same table from I uh, sits David Weaver, who today is masquerading as a father of three at Pontins, uh, with some, kind of somewhere between lemon, mustard and beige shorts. Above the knee, of course. You classify, <laughs> these, classify these as khaki. I don't, I don't think they qualify as khaki. You can see the sun, the fade, the, the original colour there on my turn-up, and then that's, that's what's happening. Those there. are the kind of shorts that would only hide your lower abdomen if you were in a, a late 40s film about the North African section of the Second World War. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Just chasing after Rommel. <laughs> Something. Yeah, that's uh, fine. I've also got... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I dropped some tagine, homemade tagine on my trainers there. Did you? So that's what you, how happens when you, when you move to the south side of Glasgow. You're just trying to consume too much at once. Just too much tagine. How's that going for you? Uh, tagine? Yeah. It's all over the place, obviously. Is it that good? I, I literally cannot handle it. I dropped it everywhere. <laughs> but it's pretty good. On this episode, we're talking about McCluskey Do Dallas, which I'm excited for, if I'm honest. Uh huh. Whose idea was this? Yours? No. Was it mine? Is it yours, Chris? I like to feel this idea sprung uh, unannounced from our hive mind. Mm. This is organic. It wouldn't have come from my mind, though, because I didn't really know this album. Would you not? I've always heard of McCluskey. They've always been in the background. And I've seen Future of the Left and enjoyed them, but I don't own an album by either band. Um, so it was, yeah, it was new to me. <laughs> Did you enjoy that album, David? Um, <coughs> yes, I did. I wasn't really sure what to expect. I think it was a bit more, it was wonkier than I thought. I don't know where they, I don't, 
I, I just couldn't quite place what I thought McCluskey was because I'd always heard about them and I knew people that like good music like them. Well, he described, well, certainly Future of the Left, uh, Falco described them as motorheading the Pixies. Yeah, that makes sense. It's fast and wonky, kind of. Yeah, it's, it's got that. It's more rock and roll, but in a bit more saturated, and the tones are a bit more. Yeah, forced. it's like straightforward in that motorhead sense, but then they do it in a sort of cheeky and aye, a fun. I mean, it's very, very, very energetic, particularly yeah. those first like five, six songs on the record. The I think Just he's fucking go for it. His approach to lyricism as well. The kind of semi-obscure pop reference approach that he, he adopts is invited comparisons with Black Francis as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think it's a an inappropriate description. I mean, the classic live shows are, you know, an constant legend. Well, you know, do you know what? A fucking phenomenal live. I thought, I was like, I probably, I'm never going to go back and listen to this album again because it's not really my thing, but I'd fucking love to see it live. I think it, they sound like the most punk rock pub rock band ever and like I would like to be down the front holding the pint getting it spilled all over me yeah I mean we're probably going to get a bit ahead of the game here but I saw them at King Tut's in a kind of semi-legendary yeah. in a Glaswegian appearance that was sensational John Chapel, especially the bassist pretty wild live I mean I, I don't know how the guy didn't break his own neck on stage you know mm. the singer of James once broke his own neck on stage during a mosh, during a song. <laughs> I mean, of all the bands as well. So the guy was so... He had a nervous thing that his way of dealing with it was to vibrate and gyrate. He and he broke his own neck. I don't know how John Chappell didn't do that as well because having seen him, literally his face was doing that blurred kind of yeah. thing. And uh, I, I can't remember. He was getting in all about the lighting rigs and tuts. And actually on the, on the way here, like I'm, I told you I met... Um, Craig Orzel, the basis of the Twilight Sad, mm-hmm. of all things, the subject of next week's episode. But Craig was saying that he and his friend went to see McCluskey at the Cat House when they played Jesus. an Unders night of all things. So he had two. Craig's not a small man as well. So like he had two distinctly overage guys skulking around the Unders night at the Cat House. Um, <laughs> waiting for McCluskey to come on He said it took a good three hours And included some little girl going up to his pal And being like, can I get after you? <laughs> I'm afraid that would be illegal <laughs> <laughs> But there you go, the things you find out On Excellent. the way to recording um, But yeah, they were a, a terrific live band And yeah. Future Left are a terrific live band Yeah, I think, very good uh, the, the element of John Chapel and McCluskey Was pretty notorious He was, he was uh, <laughs> animated, let's put it that way Yeah so I mean, I mean, I definitely looking at this record. It seems it doesn't. It's kind of gone under the radar. Your in, radar. in some ways, no. But like I look at the like the plays on Spotify, and oh, it's like pretty low. This is even on Spotify. This one. And it, uh, yes, I, is it, yeah. I, can, I can find it. But um, it's possibly why it's so low. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know how many people are listening to this record now because they might have missed it first time around or whatever. But also. It is in a lot of critics' lists for like best, you know, best records of the decade and stuff like that. Just in terms of like pure punk rock fury or whatever. The band, the band were perpetually on the cusp. Mm. They, they described that as well. They were like perpetually on the cusp of making a record that broke through, and this was their. This would have been their precursor record to hopefully the one that did break through. The album that followed this, uh, which is called "The Difference Between You and Me," is that I'm not on fire. Yep, they had a knack for titles. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't hit the mark the way this hit and we'll, we'll get to that as well but I think I was, I was reading 
you know, a bunch of interviews in the, in the preparation for this. And I was surprised to see Andy Falcus say that as far as he's aware, they only ever sold out two UK shows. Really? Yeah. Um, I think both in London. And uh, he described selling out a couple in the US and a few in Australia. Yeah. I think. And he said apart from, and they never got to Japan, which is ironic because I think the style of music is the kind of thing. I mean, Alamos, the Dundee band, got in the charts in Japan. Yeah. And they're a band that invited regular comparisons, McCluskey. Um, so it's surprising, I think. But yeah, I mean, he, 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 he was reflecting on the fact that they just never really quite seemed to take... But they've been influential. They've definitely been influential. They're maybe one of those bands' bands. <laughs> I'd say so. I mean, when I spoke, when I interviewed him for another podcast, this was a while ago. Um, he he was I seem to be very much under the impression that people don't know him for McCluskey; they know him for Future Left, and that's the thing. Yeah, because they do sell out shows and they play loads of gigs and they fucking tour everywhere. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know. For me, McCluskey have always been that thing that be, a band of people that I've always known, I've always really loved. Yeah, and Future Left are also very good. Don't get me wrong, but maybe maybe that's just him. You know, trying to like just focus on the present and not really think too much about the past I don't know but he seemed to be very much on the impression that Future Left were like what he's known for as opposed to McCluskey which I think is really interesting I don't know objectively you would want that to be true um well, yeah, I mean, maybe he's got a point in, in saying that, like, McCluskey had... Their first album's pretty pretty weak, to be fair. It's mm-hmm. a band clearly trying to discover its sound. Yep. My pain and sadness is more sad and painful than yours. And it's it's got some good moments on it. It was brought out in quite a small label, a Fuzzbox, I think, in, like, 99 or 2000. And then I think it was re-released by Two Pure after McCluskey kind of took a bit following Do Dallas. Yep. Um... There's a tune on it called White Liberal on White Liberal Action, which I think is a standout and is the one closest to what they ended up sounded like, sounding like with a kind of simple but very prominent guitar hook. It's not. It's not a. It's not a great record, and I don't think they think it's a great record either. But it is the sound of a band developing. Aye. So the band themselves were, uh, generally speaking, a trio: um, Falcus, a drummer called Matt Harding, mm-hmm. and the bassist John Chapel. There's a lot of like tongue-in-cheek sort of patter around McCluskey as a band, anyway, because of their they're kind of notorious for their sense of humour. Uh, we'll go through some of the lyrics. It's pretty funny. But uh, they kind of used to string along journalists. I don't know whether it's true or not, but they claimed that they met John Chapel when he was pissing on their tent at Reading 96. I mean, that sounds feasible to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've made friendships. I think it's similar you've met situations. a lot of people, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. just not 96. Um, and the band was called Best, after Pete Best of the Beatles, for quite some time. Uh, and rebranded as McCluskey in 99, before that first record. Two albums, the, the two main albums, other than that first one, were out in Too Pure, and like I said, Two Pure reissued or stuff. And that was one mm-hmm. of the one of the bands that really helped bring Two Pure to a kind of wider audience. Two Pure had to work with PJ Harvey as well, though. Yep. So they'd had some pretty noticeable things. But I think McCluskey Do Dallas was, for me, where I got into Two Pure and started browsing their catalogue. So as much as Two Pure helped McCluskey out, I think to some extent McCluskey helped Two Pure out. 
uh, they also, I think one of the things that kind of helped raise their profile was the decision for this record and their final record to go and record with Steve Albini. Yeah. And we've record, we've covered a lot of Steve Albini stuff in this already. I'm sure he's going to come up a few more times yeah. as well. Not even trying either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll be honest, I, I have a lot of time for Steve Albini, of course. He's an interesting guy. Um, I quite like his perspective on music, the music industry. I don't always think he does bands a massive favour. In the way he records them, you know, he's, yeah. he's hands off engineering thing. Sometimes it suits a band, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard them. I've heard them have mixed success with bands, but I do think this album was very, very well suited to him. I mean, it's it's brilliant. It's a really, really great match of his approach and the band's sound, and it's just it's it's uh, maybe even uncharacteristically thick as a as an album for mm-hmm. Steve Albini, who can you know like the aforementioned PJ Harvey. It was sparse when he did um, "Rid of Me" and stuff like that. It was yeah. big room sounds and stuff. This album, it's it's heavy and it's quite dense and stuff like the the kind of flagship song to "Hell with Good Intentions." It almost doesn't sound like an Albini recording. It does and it doesn't because it's quite big and very immediate and very up up close. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that seems like it was a really good pairing. Seems a lot like, of that's probably to do with the bass tone, though, which totally fucking is like a razor blade in the record, you know? Like, it, it just cuts through everything and it's so fucking huge. As well. but you say razor blade, and that, that kind of suggests to me quite thin, and he has done that on some albums. I don't always like the shellac bass tone either. People rave about shellac's bass tone. I don't always think it does that much, but this is a much thicker sound. It's got a much more dense low end, which, yeah, maybe partly to do with Chapel's mm-hmm. you know, setup, but Albini had to capture it, and I think, yeah, it works really well. And he captured the energy. Of the Th- that seems to be the main thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really vibrant, like noisy, cacophonous, cheeky kind of. It's a very lively album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They went back to Albini for uh, the difference between you and me, which came out in two thousand and four, and it seems like there was quite a lot of pressure on them to follow this. Yeah, reading some of the comments that Andy Falks in particular made about it, and just my own impressions of it, it seems a wee bit. Um, it lacks a little bit of the joy of this album. Mm-hmm. Um, it still has, you know, funny references. Uh, it still has funny so- song names. It's the same kind of mix of, like, really good tones. I think there's more of an effort to make each track have a distinctive tone on the third album, um, and I don't think it, it makes the album sound a little bit less consistent. And this one, this album really flows, and even though there's, like, quiet songs like Fuck This Band and mm. there's stuff like Gareth Brown Says which is really quite tuneful and then mm. there's stuff like The Hell With Good Intentions which is like almost like an indie club song Yeah, um, it does sound quite consistent it flows well it sounds like it was part of the same process the third album the songs and the tones differ much more radically and I think it does sound a little bit more like they're trying to inject the, the personality into the song rather than letting it happen naturally hard to say why that happened they had a different drummer but it's a drummer from Future to the Left he's a he's mm-hmm. a uh, Jack Eggleston I think his name is and he's a, he's a great drummer and he's, he's been great as part of Future to the Left and by all accounts it seems like Andy Falcus works really well with him Yeah. so I don't think it's down to him um, Albini recorded it he already knew how to record them I'm not sure it's hard to put your finger on it 
Just sound like maybe a bit of the fun had gone out of the band yeah. a little. He made a comment in an interview about saying the album was fun to record, inverted commas, even if it doesn't sound it. So it's like, meh. okay, that was kind of a weird thing to throw in there if you're, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's the sort of thing, a follow-up to this record. Maybe they just are trying rather than just doing it naturally. Maybe, And you yeah. just maybe lose that spark somehow. They're it's thinking it a little very, bit. Yeah, very that easily perpetual, done. You know, in the cusp thing. Maybe mm-hmm. they felt, let's, you know, maybe there was just the overthought it. It's like, we need to push this to the next level. Let's, you know, we're here. This could be our only chance to go next level. Yeah. What do we need to do? And maybe they just came up with an answer that, that, that turned out not to really work. Which is interesting because I read a lot of things about McCluskey Does Dallas and, you know, them as a live band around that time being a band that would put other bands off being a band. You know, like, I'm going to stop making music because I'm never going to be as good as them. That yeah. sort of thing. And then maybe they suffered from that themselves. Maybe, yeah. You know, they were in such an amazing place for this record as, you know, that they just couldn't quite get that that magic back. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the second album does, I'm sure it wasn't effortless. I'm sure there was a hell of a lot of effort involved, but it does sound effortless. It does sound like it flowed very naturally and it doesn't sound like it's trying too hard. And the third album, even though the third album is really quite good in places, mm-hmm. doesn't, it sounds way more considered and way more deliberate. Yeah. So yeah, they, they they basically they broke up after that third album. I think it was like uh, two thousand and four, two thousand and five, um, and two thousand and six. They brought out like a thing called McCluskeyism, which was a collection of the singles, and then it had like a, a disc. Rarities and B sides expanded. And stuff. Yeah, it was like B sides and C sides, and there's actually some really really good stuff on the B sides and C sides. Some of which is probably better than stuff from certainly the first and possibly even the last album. Um, some really interesting material on that. But he, he'd put a thing in the liner notes that was, uh, that's it then, no farewell tour, no premature deaths, brackets, at time of writing, no live DVDs. And there was some chat around their breakup, um, which seemed like there was a little bit of acrimony involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> we can't give John Chapel a platform here, but there was like, there was discussion of money issues and... Uh, he <laughs> made a comment in an article he wrote for Drowned in Sound or something about a member of the band taking money that he thought the others didn't notice was missing by accident or, you know, it was a little bit sort of... Yeah, but did they all, not all, also suffer getting all their gear nicked yeah, in the and States it, as yeah, well? Yeah, and it seems like quite a bit of tension arose around that and, yeah. that, and that maybe led... you never know what happened. Maybe somebody left a van open. Maybe, maybe yeah. Know, maybe, these things you just don't Maybe know somebody about. thought they were entitled to to get something replaced because it wasn't their fault. You, mean, yeah. you, you don't know, and we can't really give them a platform, so I don't want to uh, unduly uh, prejudice that. But it definitely seems like there was a little bit of tension. But I think it was in 2014, they did a benefit for a, a place called Le Pub in Newport, Wales, um, which was facing closure, and they were trying to raise money for the place. Um, they, they did a couple of shows. They did um, one at the Buffalo Bar in London, and they got Julia, I think her name's pronounced Rosiski, Rosicki, something like that. <laughs> or Rosicka. Oh, fuck it, no. It's Andy's wife now, so he's, he's yep. bound to be outraged by my... Million ham- Dead bass player. ...ham-fisted attempt at pronunciation. Yeah, she used to play in Million Dead. Yep. Uh, they got her uh, to join on bass, and the singer from St. Pierre's Snake Invasion, I think, is the band, uh, played as well. They are, they're still going, as mm-hmm. far as I'm aware. I think they're playing this year at the Wrong Festival. Um, and they kind of started performing as McCluskey, asterisk, Doing the odd benefit show, I think he did something in Cardiff as well. 
um, bits and bobs. Years show a couple of years ago as well in Bristol. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, the the the, the sleeve note comment about. You know, suggesting that there was going to be no reunion. There isn't a reunion. It doesn't seem like John Chapel's ever going to be in the picture again. Yeah. He started a band called Shooting at Unarmed Men. Then it's, he emigrated to Australia. I think he continued the band over there. And that band's like a little bit more indie, decent, like mm-hmm. pretty good. Um, not McCluskey, uh, not Future the Left. Um, they kind of sound a bit more like the band Wire at points. Yeah. They were just a bit more modern. But Too Pure put them out as well. So whatever the whatever the acrimony was, the, the record label can't have been too outraged about it. But um, yeah, it doesn't seem like the original McCluskey lineup's going to resolve things anytime soon. But yeah, so and since then, Future Left have started playing the McCluskey songs live because obviously so many of the members of Future Left were now playing them anyway as yeah. McCluskey asterisk. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty good when you go and see them. It's nice to see those songs not just cast into the void because uh, they're terrific. Hi, uh, as you might hear, um, we still are fiddling about with knobs and trying to make ourselves sound good because we are scraping together things. Chris is currently outside looking for a cable in his car. Um, we've got things falling over because we're just poor. We're not a professional operation. We're just doing this for the love of it. But if you like what you hear and you hear what you like, <laughs> then it would be wonderful if you could donate to uh, unsungpod.net slash donate Mark's giving me a big thumbs up because I finally remembered the URL one day and that day is today but yeah it's a bit of an ignominious ending to a band that seemed like it was going to really do yeah. something I'm not sure, maybe it's somewhat limited by the style of music that it is. Yeah. You know, maybe it's that kind of thing where you reach peak it's, audience for something that's quite niche. Yeah, exactly. It's it's pop rock, but it's not Yeah, pop. I mean, it's super, like, it's, it's, it's way know. more abrasive, like, even more so than the Pixies. Yeah, so exactly. And it, 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 other than perhaps to hell with good intentions, it didn't lend itself that well to being DJed at clubs, for example. Yeah. And that can ultimately make or break those kind of bands. I think a lot of the stuff on this record as well, when you say pop rock, Falco's really good at writing pop stuff and just twisting it ever so slightly and mm-hmm. subverting it, just turn it to the left or to the right a wee bit and making it weird. I think he really excels at doing that. A lot of the guitar parts as well, particularly, really, really catchy. Yeah. And his vocals have got the potential to be catchy, but obviously not, knowingly not. And from from my experience, he, he really fucking loves like pop music and like like big big pop songwriters and stuff I don't know man I, I actually don't agree with that I think one of the one of the secrets to McCluskey is the fact that the vocals are so catchy like um, Gareth Brown says starts with the phrase all of your friends are cunts and your yeah. mother's a, boy, a ballpoint pen thief yeah. and it's just one of those bits that as soon as it comes in at the gigs everybody sang it all of your friends are cunts your mother is a ballpoint pen thief no Couldn't not sing it, and um, it's not conventionally catchy, is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, but these these are like, like indie <coughs> rockheads that are you know finding this little album that nobody else loves apart from the 200 sweaty kids in their little Ipswich town or wherever around the UK. This is it's not I like mean, they were singing along like on top of the pops. 800 capacity venues though, you know, when the venues yeah, are, but, the venues are all singing along. I mean, to hell with good intentions as well as what like you know my band is better than your band. So we've got more songs than a song convention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad is bigger than your dad. He's got eight cars and a house in Ireland. Sing it. 
what's the one about uh, take more drugs than a tour and funk band? Like yeah. they, they were their lyrics were full of like really sort yeah. of funny catchphrases. And we were talking in, in a previous episode about how rap doesn't rely on the catchy melody, it relies on the catchy slogan. Like Death Grips rely on the catchy mm. slogan. And McCluskey in an indie way did have the catchy slogan, man. The lyrics were fucking brilliant at points and, and like humour became a big part of their thing anyway like yeah. going to a McCluskey show live going to a Future Left show live it's sometimes sort of almost equal parts stand up as yeah. it is music like, like Andy Falcus is with the exception of maybe Brendan Ayer um, Teenage Fan Club Macrocosmica Andy's the funniest guy I've ever seen mm-hmm. on stage in a band um, his ability to just react and engage with an audience and you know Nicely uh, control hecklers and nicely control the crowd to some extent, but it is pretty sensational. Like the guy's a very very quick witted guy, and it became yeah. a huge part of their live performances. Like they would they would almost like get into sections of the the show where the crowd would be like deliberately saying things to try and encourage Andy to start you know talking. Yeah. And when you get them on a good night, when they're in a good mood, they're having a good show. They are like really genuinely very very funny live as well. Yeah. And it's not like. And it's that thing um, with comedy and music that you're trying to avoid being the Bloodhound Gang or you're trying to avoid being the darkness or, you know, you're trying to avoid being... How would you avoid being the darkness? <laughs> <laughs> as you're right, it's a fine line, isn't it? Like, you could very easily fall off the other side of being kind of corny. Yeah, being sti- it's, a shtick. It's totally not. And that's one of my favourite things about it. Because it's, it's, de- it's, it's very incisive as well. You know, it's definitely not trying to be funny. It just is the way it is. Don't go fuck in the barn because the barn's on fire. Repeated 20 <laughs> times in a song. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like, I, and it's like something that's kind of puerile, but it's, it's funny puerile. It's not, um, it, it isn't trying too hard. It's not like trying to also, set up a narrative. It's very British funny. Yeah, yeah. do you think? Yeah, that's probably true. Um, yeah. Like McCluskey and Future the Left are not tenacious D. I mean, they're not like doing it for shits and giggles and you know puns and pulling goofy no, faces. Yeah, yeah, it's no. not like that. I mean, uh, there's a there is a video though for one of the tracks. I, I think it's she will bring you only happiness on the difference between you and me is that I'm not on fire. And the video is kind of pretty outright, sort of like campy. It's an animated bowling pin following the band around like a Dockland. It's it's yeah. really and then it like it's it's pretty lighthearted. And I think that's the closest they got to outright sort of like, hey, we're 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 a fun we're a band. band. Yeah, because some of the stuff is still pretty dark. Um, and yeah. I think it, with Future to Left, it's maybe one of the reasons I really like um, Arming Eritrea. It's a lot darker that band. That's yeah, and that's a political song. Mm-hmm. That is literally a political song. And um, Drink Nike on that same album is a an, another kind of overtly sort of thinking man's thinking woman's thinking person's song but yeah McCluskey tended to kind of not batter you around the head with political messages but they did have loads of sardonic stuff but then they had tons of pop culture references to like Danny Baker and the 1986 World Cup and Michael Caine and Alton Towers and very British kind of cultural references that yeah, Americans that definitely wouldn't American get yeah audiences so it would explain partly why it yeah. didn't translate to places like the US and Japan but yeah over here they were much beloved so do you guys listen to this album regularly? <laughs> I had listened to it for a few years, but I enjoy it when I hear it immensely. Uh, it's a good playlist album. Yeah. Um, I don't listen to the full album, I start to finish, but it's a really good album in terms of DJing, in terms of if you're in a car, in terms of if you're you know, passing an iPod at a party. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's really good for that. 
Yeah, this has aged well, I think. I think it has, definitely. By the, by the way, you know, the, the, this was out at the same time as the, the Strokes were starting an Electric Six. Yeah. Gay bar, Electric Six. There's another kind of like pseudo-comedy song. But fucking hell, I totally forgot about your Electric Six. Jesus. Yeah. It's all going, man. Still fucking touring and playing shows and shit. Like, it's Just as relevant as ever. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, like, this is one of the very few albums that, like, Whenever I think about how good it was when I first heard it, when I put it back on, it's still just as good as that time. And there's not a lot of albums that do that for me, even ones that I really like. And that's, that's why I love this record so much. Because mm-hmm. it's just... Talk it, us through it. It's fun. Talk it's us a fun through record. It. Pick it apart. Let's have, let's have a deep dive. Let's start there. It's a fun <laughs> record, isn't it? Really. It is. It's a band having fun. It, it starts like with a, a song called Lightsaber Cocksucking Blues. Either you are while you're falling apart and it open a can of words. Um, which I think they described as uh, a whole lot of rosy with worse lyrics. <laughs> yeah, just kicking in with the, the hi hats, mm-hmm. and it does that quiet loud, quiet loud. Just yeah, fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really good way to start an album as well. The drum sound is the first thing it hits you because it's just fucking great. Obviously, Steve Albini, and, and that's kind of one of his signature things. But this sounds. It sounds really, really good, and the guitar tone is obscene on it as well. And it just sounds so raw. I think that's what we were saying earlier on about production. You know, what I mean, that, that that rawness. It just feels like a band actually like being captured live and like really like recorded really well, as opposed to like an actual live show. Because sometimes you get that. Like I think a good example of that is in Casino Out by the Driving, which also sounds really, really good. And it's, it was a band playing live, but it doesn't quite capture that live sound that they had when they were at their peak. You yeah, know. this is definitely a bit rougher and rawer, but in a good way. Um, but the one, the, the lightsaber cocksucking blues, it doesn't do the McCluskey thing of having like the single string, single note guitar motifs that yeah. they do quite a lot. Like they're quite yeah. known for mm-hmm. kind of almost annoying, but they work because they're annoying because they're over this backdrop of like a, a big, big yeah. beat. The lightsaber cocksucking blues doesn't do that, but there are two or three tracks off the back of it. Um, no new wave, no fun. I think collagen rock. What we've learned, um, they 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 all kind of start to kind of set out this template. I mean, basically, the first six tracks are all just like <coughs> gung ho fucking pub punk. I love c- 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 like. collagen rock. <laughs> it's great. But yeah. I think, uh, Such a good tune. Track six, uh, Do You Think to Survive, the the one that ends with I'm just screaming Danny Baker. Yeah. Um, that's probably the heaviest track in the album, yeah. I think, and it's just really good. Yeah. It's really so direct. Noisy, man. Yeah. 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 Like it then like totally slows down for fuck this band. But well, fuck fucking, this band really is like, like a really for such a kind of modest song. Yeah, um, it's a really significant song in the history of the band because yeah. you know I'm willing to wager the number one selling bit of merch was the t-shirts that just said fuck yeah. this band. Fuck this band. Yeah, fuck that. Do you think that song's about new metal? Because <laughs> <laughs> there are some like oh, there are some obvious lyrical points there where he talks about like 
the clown mask and all that and like how these guys think they're so fucking cool and all that yeah I mean they were certainly around at that time but I don't know I, 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 don't, I just don't I see don't it as being his style to be as specific as that I think it's yeah. much more nihilistic cheeky just slagging off his own not even the real band just slagging off uh, an imagined project for, for the fucking sake of it yeah. it's just it seems to be what, what McCluskey do or what Andy Falcus does yeah. is just to, to, to pick a thing you know he's always doing that thing with like um, our old singer is a sex criminal mm-hmm. that's, that's a lyric he just yeah. repeats that lyric it's like well what old singer you yeah, have yeah. an old singer you know so it's just like they, they just pick these kind of abstract concepts there's one about their drummer as well that I can't remember the lyric right now but they just pick like an, an ex-member who either did or didn't exist mm-hmm. and then they just kind of make fun of them or they make fun of the band and it doesn't really yeah. seem like it's directed at the actual person or the actual no, band. No, it's, it's more just... encapsulating the idea that they're like a wee gang right now and it's like, fuck the world. Yeah, it's just, just like, like a bit hedonistic and a little bit sort of whatever. Yeah. I, I don't think... Self-aware hedonism. Yeah, I, I don't think he sat down and was like, see, that's fucking new metal. It's pure murder. And I'm sure he... I don't know Andy, but I'm sure he believes that. I'm pretty pretty sure I don't know. That. I don't think, <laughs> sure I think he's quite a big mushroom head fan myself. <laughs> but um, I don't think he's so preachy as to want to sit down and be like, I need to take these guys down a peg or two. Yeah. I'm going to write a thing called Fuck This Band. Besides, it'd be called Fuck That Band. Yeah. No, I know. I feel like it's a tongue in cheek sort of. Fuck the concept of being in a band. It's also a very nice palate cleanser for the. the yeah, it's, it's a good. Well, yeah, it's a good yeah, because exactly. then it goes into to help with good uh-huh. intentions, which is like the the song. Yeah, it's interesting that track because it does sound different. It sounds like a like they're going slightly beyond the live fury and like produced a song song yeah, yeah. well it's, it's interesting really i've got i've got like friends who have no real interest in a lot of the alternative rock that i listen to but yet they will at parties play to hell with good intentions mm-hmm. specifically or request it and it's it's odd because i mean these are people that are playing charlatans and ride and mm. stuff like that and yet they're they're really really into this specific they like mccluskey in general, but the reason they like McCluskey is because they like that song and that was their gateway and then they get in McCluskey via that. Yeah. And it sort of seems that maybe maybe they did try to write that again, maybe they didn't try to write that again, but it seems like that was their real breakthrough formula, was stuff like that. Yeah. And it's so good. I mean, the the simplicity of it, the, the stoppy, starty, chunky nature of it, um, the, the lyrics, I think, play no small part just because of the sing-along like, value of some of those funnier lyrics in it and it's like a it's a really strong song that is that is the one you can you can dj that in any kind of alternative set you can bang that out on at the end of the yeah yeah yeah's and people don't skip a beat mm-hmm. you know it's 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 just a really good bit of writing i think uh it probably played a big part well i know for me it played a big part because it's the first one i heard but it probably played a really big part in the success of this album or at least the cult status of this album and it's right there in the middle and it's pivotal and it's in this little clutch of like really good varied songs in the middle to break up because if it had all continued like the first five or six I think it might become quite tiring by yeah. the end but they do just hit this like patch of variation that, that's really yeah it breaks it up really well and yeah. shows that they're not one dimensional as well it does speak to the things that he enjoys as well which is you know writing poppy songs and twisting it yeah it's funny that it kind of came in the sort of height of the CD time because it feels like if it was a two sided record that would be like Start a side B. Yeah. 
Actually, there would be it's right in the middle. Yeah. I don't know what it. I, yeah, I don't have it in vinyl. I don't know if that yeah. might. That so might, I don't know how they might well be if they thought of it as two sides or if they just thought of it as a you know could, CD. But yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a good point actually. That could well be um, the one after it though. I think I think it's deliberately the clique application form. I think mm-hmm. it's deliberately on there to let you switch off for a couple of minutes. Which, in fairness, is probably a good idea. It's that thing where you're allowed to just tune out for a couple of minutes. As happens sometimes when you're listening to an album, the only problem is you tune out during something you're meant to be listening to. Yeah. So that this click application form what comes on, it's pretty basic. It's not overproduced. It's kind of messy. It's just sort of this kind of throwaway thing that goes on for a while, and it's not a particularly great bit of music. But I think it's in there for a reason. Yeah, it's balanced. I, I think it also has some of the most mis- misanthropic lyrics on it, from what I remember. Um, which the, the world loves us and our bitches. The world loves us and is our yeah. bitches. Yeah, comes in after that, which is one of their most recognisable, I think, and one of the most easy ones to latch onto the chorus. <laughs> My guitar tone is pure radio-friendly <coughs> unit shifter. It sounds exactly the same as radio-friendly radio friendly unit shifter, that guitar tone. Well, I mean... <laughs> Which makes a bit of sense. There's, there's, there's one potentially obvious reason for that, <laughs> but I can't say I've ever picked up on that. I'd probably have to go and listen to it to concur so I'm going to stay in the fence with that one. But, um, yeah, you, you could be right. I'm sure it was... I'm definitely right. Good chance it was recorded using some of the same gear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... In terms of like like their most famous songs, uh, Alan is a Cowboy Killer, that and Lightsaber, Cocksuck and Blues are probably the two after To Hell With Good Intentions yeah. in terms of like how... So what Gareth Brown says as well because of the, because of the opening line. Yeah, yeah. It's probably yeah. up there too. Off Alan, this record anyway, I think there's She'll Only Bring You Happiness off the third record is a well-known one. Quite, yeah, quite. But it stands out on that, that record. record. I don't remember that record. I know it exists and I'm happy I did, but yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's the track that totally stood out for me. Yeah, and I well, that's, that's the one they the did that, that video with the wee bowling pin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like Alan's a good by killer. As funny as as odd and as funny as that is, and whatever that actually means, I've no idea. But there is like a there's a, a section in it. Um, you were such an ugly child. You were such an awkward child. Mm-hmm. You were such a stupid child. We should have cottoned on. You were such an awkward child. I just really like that bit. There's, yeah. there's some just, I don't know, there is something kind of exasperated and a little bit sad, a little bit pathetic, and a little bit melancholy about that bit. And it's one of the it's one of the weirdly kind of tender but yet not very nice moments in the album. I think it shows like a real subtle. It's a subtle kind of humour in that that is just like a wee bit tragic and I, I fucking, I love that line. Yep, followed by Gareth Brown says and uh, all of your friends are cunts, uh, your mother is a ballpoint pen thief, which is the line that anytime you read about the band, the journalist picks it out. Like, yeah. it, like, like I think I maybe read 10 interviews and they all were like, oh, this band wrote a line that says all of your friends are cunts, your mother is a ballpoint pen thief. And you're like, yeah, they, they wrote a lot of other weird shit as well. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> 
the next line is not to try to follow you like like beating swallow rain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael Caine doesn't follow you, and you've never been to Spain. Exactly. <laughs> That's a couple and a half right there. Yeah, it's a belter. They also do that thing, um, but it's that you've never been to Alton Towers. Michael Caine doesn't follow you, and you've never been to Spain. It it never sat right with me, and I think they did it deliberately. It's like a double fuck you mm-hmm. that it's like such clumsy writing, like. You've never been somewhere. Michael Caine doesn't follow you, and you've and never, you've been, never somewhere been somewhere else. <laughs> it's like, oh fuck off! That's just too awkward. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's just that just doesn't read well, and that's that's like an extra level of yeah. fuck off. <laughs> That, that that song's famous, and it's famous because it's famous. It's renowned within their their following because it's a great song, but also because of that opening line. Yeah, because it is just you know hands in the air, mm-hmm. you know wave them around. You just don't care. Um, Leave your chases. Chases, yeah. Don't go fucking the barn because the barn's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's about as uh, fucking throwaway and stupid as you can get, but good fun. And just has this kind of like car alarm guitar mm-hmm. all the way through it. And who you know is wasn't recorded by Albini, and it, you can hear that immediately. The guitars sound completely different, and I like the guitars in this record. I actually like this song a lot. It's mm. probably one of my favourite songs on the album, actually. It's got some terrific lyricism in it yeah. as well. Your heart's gone the colour of Coca-Cola, yeah. and your heart's gone the colour of a dustbin. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good ending so Maybe actually well. got the biggest chorus in the record. Yeah, well, it's kind of more of a, an outro refrain, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Where they just repeat that, your heart's going the colour of yeah. Coca-Cola thing, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, yeah, it's a big kind of singy mm-hmm. chunk. I mean, why was it, why was it not recorded by Albini, do you know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I Maybe they got home like, and just went, oh. Got we need something else, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or whether it was like this needs something else, or whether it's like oh we have this other tune written and it's too good not to put out. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Or maybe it was actually a B side or something, and they recorded it, and then we're like fuck, actually we should probably put it on the record because it doesn't it doesn't break before the record at all. It does sound quite similar, but the guitar tone in particular yeah. is it's like big. It's almost like stadium rock style. Yeah, it's so big. It is a bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, and the, just the writing of it is a bit bigger as well. Mm. Yeah, it, it caps it off nicely, so it could well be that. It was specifically like this would be a, a better way to end it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I mean, it's only 36 minutes long, this album as well. Mm-hmm. It's that fantastic thing where you're just like, ah, oh, it's finished and I'm still up for more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, brevity is the soul of wit and the soul of McCluskey from the sounds of it. But uh-huh. just kind of ticks almost every box, uh, you know, other than balladry. <laughs> and, you know, maybe fuck this band is yeah, it's it's got a, close to that, yeah. Balladry. Yep. <laughs> We've got a nice accompaniment here by is that a forklift truck or something? Yeah, someone a jammed engine outside. We're it real. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, you guys really like this album. Other yeah. podcasts have double glazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Please, no, please donate to us, yeah, for thicker windows and or longer a trousers. Bit of a room, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or quieter forklifts. We could just we could take them out and uh, rather than buy a double glazing, we just yeah. <laughs> go down there. <laughs> There you go, guys. I'll give that a skish. <laughs> but yeah, I'm getting the vibe that you guys both really like this record. I, I mean, I think this is like another example of exactly what we're talking about with the podcast. I think it's a, a great moment from a band that were good, 
mm-hmm. really good. Uh, but this all, uh, everything clicked at one time for this. And uh, they, I think they struggled to live up to it. And probably rightly, and <laughs> no, no choice once they started accusing each other of financial malfeasance, but um, moved on to something slightly different. Yep. Um, I, I can see us maybe talking about Future Left at some point as well. Um, I think in their own right, they're really, really good. Mm-hmm. I'm just not as convinced that they have a, an album that jumps out record, as being yeah. like, mm-hmm. this is the one, this is the, the quintessential Future Left. I'm not sure that exists, albeit I certainly think you could put together a Future Left album that was as good as this, certainly. I would certainly say like maybe Travels with myself, myself and others is probably the one that I would pick. If I was I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good album, yeah. Um but yeah, maybe we'll get to that. But yeah. it builds, yeah, it builds on this. But this was a hell of a template, and they were like McCluskey were like the ultimate power trio. I know a lot of people. I was a, I liked Ruben. I liked mm-hmm. a number of the bands that were kicking about at the same time, but they all had a level of corniness that McCluskey didn't have. Like the, there was something about McCluskey that just aged better. So many of those bands had a level of kind of like grungy kind of hokiness to them, and McCluskey maybe because of the humour. Um, just yeah. didn't really fall victim to that, and as a result, it seems to have maintained its uh, yeah its luster over over the years. Whereas uh-huh. the other ones, I think now you kind of have to listen to them with a wee bit of sort of shrug mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, yeah, with uh, like you said with Mashaga, if this doesn't go in, I'm going to quit. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not that upset about it. I mean, <laughs> uh, I don't think even Andy would be that upset about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, they they, they were. I, they're probably the best of of that era. Mm. In fact, they're probably quite safely the best of the British rock um, kind of alternative rock acts of that era. Um, and the least safe as well. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely behind this one. As am I. Weaver, what is your thoughts? You've not R R. God damn it, R R. <laughs> what are your thoughts? What, what is what what am my thoughts? <laughs> I, what are your thoughts? Uh, maybe I just missed the boat with it and I'm probably too late now because it's not nostalgic for me and it's not, I don't know, it's not the sort of thing I'd ever listen to. The sad thing is, but, your high school band could definitely have covered this. Well, yeah, I know, that's <laughs> fucking true. Um, but also I get, like, I listened to it and it was really, I don't know, there was something really charming about it. I, I did enjoy it, so I'm happy to see it go in. I just uh, probably won't listen to it. <laughs> that's a shame. <laughs> if that makes sense. What but a if it goes backhanded on, compliment no, that. <laughs> I'll never put it on, like, on my phone while I'm walking around but if somebody puts it on in the car or at a party I will enjoy it that's because as we found out you're too busy walking up the road listening to Issues by Korn mm-hmm. so clearly a voice to be trusted <laughs> on the merits of past albums I don't I don't I don't get your tone there <laughs> <laughs> sorry too subtle <laughs> right let's uh, let's chuck this one in the in the pile marked yeah if you enjoyed yes. this record or you agree with uh, us all three yeah pretty much mm-hmm. um, then go on the Facebook group and click yes hit, hit, hit I I like this album this should be part of the list and if you hit nay we would appreciate you telling us why not yeah unless yeah. you have a damn good reason why not let's have a nice a nice discussion on the internet a nice spirited debate <laughs> that doesn't spiral into <laughs> accusations like the, the infighting that followed <laughs> my sugar <laughs> I mean uh, cons- that's only on the internet can that happen can fans of a really niche metal band all start arguing because of the fact that some of them don't it's agree with it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love this album. Oh, it's so great, but it's maybe not my favourite. <laughs> Fuck you! I hate you! Get in the sea! <laughs> I told you the Obsin thing was going to be a sticking point. Uh, well, it's. Uh, I think 
it has been voted it in. It has been voted in, so, so there'll be no more Mushaga discussions in future. That's I'm afraid it. Catch 33 is the perfect Mushaga record and everybody else can fuck off. Hold your wished. All right, internet crew, give your best shot. Yeah, what we're doing next? Next week we are doing... Well, I believe we already uh, gave that one away. We're going to we do did. 14 Autumns and 15 Winters by The Twilight Sad. It's a good Scottish record. I should have said 14 autumns and 15, 15 winters. <laughs> Kilsyth's finest. Yep, mm. there's a good Indian restaurant in Kilsyth and there's a good band too. So let's get further into that next week. Excellent. Gentlemen, thank you very much for that hour of, of, <laughs> of Jar <Jared> McCluskey. <laughs> <laughs> that chat was longer than, longer than the record. Fucking hell. Uh, twice <laughs> as long as <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>